fundamentally, I find coaches are in a, what I'm calling a, a net of contradictions or a nest of contradictions. I haven't quite figured out what word. Um, the contradictions between what coaching is and often the expectations others have of them as coaches. So one fundamentally is the notion that a coach is someone who brings out the potential in others versus the contradiction that I think some schools and school systems and potentially maybe supervisors of coaches have, which is for coaches to correct deficits. I'm Jim Knight, co-founder of the Instructional Coaching Group, and you're listening to Coaching Conversations, where I talk with coaching experts from around the world so that all of us can learn better ways to make an unmistakably positive impact on the people around us. Jim Knight and ICG, in partnership with Growth Coaching International, are proud to offer introduction to leadership coaching. This course is designed specifically for leaders and aspiring leaders with the intention of developing their confidence and skills to lead more effective learning conversations. Explore techniques for offering feedback that support growth and performance, more effective strategies for goal-setting and attainment, and learn about the three elements of effective coaching practice, the growth framework, key coaching skills, and the coaching way of being. Learn more by visiting instructionalcoaching.com. Okay, I am super thrilled to be talking with an extremely good friend of mine, Joellen Killian, one of the first winners of the Don Deschler Leadership Award, and in many other ways, a wonderful colleague. And I'm going to ask you, Joellen. Now, Joellen, probably everybody knows you because I think you're the only person in coaching that I can think of that people know just by your first name. You're kind of like the Madonna of coaching. I just say <laughs> Joellen and people know who I'm talking about, but... Could you tell me, people, the few people who might not know, a little bit about your history, and then I'd like to add just a couple things after that. Thanks, Jim. I'm so honored, and it's just delighted to be in your circle of colleagues. It is always an opportunity for me to learn and grow. So what people don't know about me is that I started coaching more than most coaches who are in schools have been alive that many years ago. I was a high school teacher and my principal came to me and said, would you like to coach? And I thought he meant track. <laughs> and he really meant to fix the broken teachers at that time, which was not the kind of job any coach wants. But I've been at this work a very long time and I consider it the work that really makes a difference in schools. And so through my history as a teacher and a coach, a curriculum director, professional learning specialist, working at Learning Forward and beyond, I have just continued to grow as a learner. Every encounter I have with people when I happen to facilitate professional learning gives me just tremendous opportunities to stretch my own edges. And so it's just been a delight to be associated with you, Jim, with TLC, because I always find opportunities to test out 
some ideas I've been toying with. And today's conversation is really focused on one of those. Well, what I want to add is that uh, what people may not know is that you've been a huge supporter of our work. Um, when TLC started, we were talking about this when we were together at Learning Forward. I think our first conference had 70 people, and we were just really excited that we got 70 people. But you came, and you were like the good housekeeping seal of approval. I don't know if they still have a good housekeeping seal, but if Joellen is there, it's got to be legit. And then um, for many years, either you keynoted, you're part of our panel discussions, you were a central part. And I used to say that you were the soul of TLC. Uh, I think... You know, the foundations, beginnings really say a lot about what happens in the future. And I think thanks to you, the TLC has become a kind of movement almost of people coming together, not on the same scale as learning forward, but something kind of comparable for coaches. And then the other thing though, is that you sort of legitimized our work on instructional coaching by involving me in that video series we created with you and me and Steve Barkley. I was just truly honored to be a part of it. It's like, I guess I really have something going on here. So you have been a supporter on so many levels and uh, any successes we have, you're a part of it. And I'm grateful, truly grateful. So, and I haven't ever seen you do something that I wouldn't go, holy smokes, that's really wonderful. I remember your keynote from a few years ago at the end of the conference, just how you talk things through. Uh, it just gave people a chance to reflect and bring all their pieces together. It was just the perfect ending to TLC. And um, and it's TLC that led us to this conversation to talk about identity. So I'm going to turn it over to you yes. for a while, and I'd like to come back. What's happening here is I'm going to get coached, and uh, I'm excited about it. All right. So, Jim, when we talk today, you might see me jot a few notes. It just helps me remember. I want to make sure that's all right with you before we begin. Yes, absolutely. All right. So you did express an interest when we talked about scheduling this podcast in exploring your identity. Right. Tell me why that interests you. Well, you know, you gave the presentation uh, at TLC, and as I was listening to it, I thought, I'm not sure I even know what my identity is. I thought these questions were, they went so deep and they asked such important things. And I thought, I'm going to have to go back through Joellen's presentation and think about the questions she asked and think about this because I agree with you. It's really, really important. And I felt like uh, I don't have the clarity I wanted to have. And then I thought, I got a better idea. Why don't I just have Joellen coach me instead of me going back for the presentation? <laughs> but it is because I'm not sure about my answers to many of your questions. And I think they're really, really important. So that's that's the issue. Exploring identity is important, and I'm I'm delighted that you're eager to do that. People define identity in so many ways, some complex, some simple. A simple way that I define it is that it's how we define ourselves. It's it's the attributes, characteristics the experiences that we use to define ourselves. And those definitions, I think, emerge from the experiences we have, from our background, our families, our culture, and our beliefs, which are really shaped by all of those 
various experiences that we have. How would you define yourself, Jim? As a quick answer to the question, how would I define identity? I would say um, I'm a work in progress. And I see that as a good thing. I think always, I don't think there's an end point. And that I'm a, I'm especially a work in progress in how I um, love the people closest to me. And then also, you know, do as much good as I can in the world, uh, given the time I've got left. I think the most important thing is loving the people closest to you. And, um, you know, I've got, I've still got a lot to learn. I don't think I've really been, that hasn't been one of my blazing successes, but I, I think, I think, uh, I think that's it. I, I think that, um, there is a, a true, like a true way for me to live. I, I, I am wired and it's like, there's a melody of a song and I'm trying to live in a way where I can sing in harmony, but I'm off key a lot, but I'm a little more in harmony now than I was 10 years ago. And I hope that next year I'll be a little bit closer. I'm trying to sing the song of who I am, but that means, you know, when I miss the note, uh, and that is the way I sing. It's off key all the time. But when I miss a note, it just means I, 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 there's learning I still have to do. That's, that's how I see it. I do feel, um, it's not ever going to be achieved or reached, but I think there's a movement closer and closer to that, to that, uh, that sound, you know, or to, to that harmony with, with the way I'm designed or the way I'm wired. You talked about a number of actions in your definition. You talked about a work in progress. The fact that you're looking at and always searching for things to learn, that you live in harmony and recognize that that's not always um, always on key. Sometimes it's off key. Those might be great opportunities for learning. You talked about loving the people closest to you. But who are you, Jim? I'm a person who's chosen to live uh, a life as a person of faith and um, also a person who thinks everyone has their own journey and I would never project my journey onto other people. And also I approach that journey of faith uh, with a lot of doubt about whether or not it's true, but every step I've taken uh, has been validated by the changes in me as a person. So I would say, I believe you look for good in other, every other person. And if I was to express it the way I personally would express it, and I'm not saying this is language for anybody else, but I think every human being carries within them the image of God, even the most obnoxious politician you can think of. It's in there somewhere if you look deep enough. And, um, and I'm trying very imperfectly, but better now than in, say, even a year ago, but I'm trying to see the image of God in every person and show it back to them, to show them the good that I see them. And, uh, and in doing that, I'm trying to be what I would consider the truest version of myself, which is a, a life embodied in benevolence towards other people and uh, 
uh, setting aside self-interest as best I can to put other people first. And to be, you know, completely transparent, that's another one where there's a lot of missed notes. There's a lot of pride, sometimes envy, sometimes just self, just laziness. And there's all kinds of ways the self gets in the way. But I, I feel like I can't do better than my best and I'm, I'm doing better now than I was. And, you know, the journey is good and I'm on the right track. And sometimes, and maybe this is a little tangential, but sometimes the learning is really, really hard. I said, sometimes the most important learning you have in life is when you realize a lot of your assumptions about who you are and what you do are uh, not true. And when you realize that the person you thought you were is not who you are, that's a hard thing to go through. But I think to live in a dreamland about who you are and not face those things is not it's not the option I want. You know, I want to I want to be clear where you. You mentioned journey, your journey, right? Um, living in alignment with what you hold to be true, being validated uh, and validating others' experiences, looking for the good, recognizing occasionally that there's some doubt that you carry. Um, I wonder if you could tell me a story about when you felt that you were not living the life that represents who you are. Just an experience that you might have had that might manifest that contradiction that you were experiencing. Yeah. Um I'm going to put my whole life out in here for public display. But I, I would say um, in my marriage that uh, I have a tendency to be a grumpy, grumpy old man. And um, I even did a little thing for a while, Joellen, called my grumpy journal, where I kept track of every time I was grumpy. I could fill that book up in no time at all. You know, waiting in line at the grocery store, waiting for the person to check me into the doctor's office in traffic. Traffic was a biggie, you know. Uh, and, uh, but um, it came to my realization, I came to believe that I want the most important person in my life to feel completely supported and psychologically safe with me. And I thought, if I'm grumpy about every little thing uh, that bothers me, um, I'm not doing that. I'm not actually being a loving husband. And I think your partner should feel, oh, he has my best interest at heart and he, he and I'm safe with him and I can go to him with anything. And I have, a, you know, a John Goppin talks about the stress-reducing conversation, letting your partner have a stress-reducing conversation. Just let them tell them about all the stresses that they have. My idea of a stress-reducing conversation, not to have that conversation. <laughs> so I kind of try to stop it as quick as possible. And, and I used to stop it through frustration. I think, well, just fix the problem. I don't want to hear all this anxiety. And I, in, in, in not listening when things are difficult, um, and to some extent, when you cut yourself off, and that way you cut yourself off from the joy too. But in not listening, uh, I didn't. I wasn't the loving partner I want to be. And, and that's the most painful 
learning I've gone through is to go, you know, I have got a long way to go to truly be the kind of husband I should be, given given what I know and given how much I love my wife. So I'd say that's that's one example. Yeah. So you used your experiences documented with some evidence to note what was happening, and you made a decision to change how you were showing up for your wife. You know That's what happened? Pretty... Sorry, go ahead. ahead. Well, I was just um, going to say it's your journey. Right. It is the journey for sure. Um, you know, my background's in special ed. And so one of the big changes in my life was to realize that the frustrating things students did, if they were autistic or on the spectrum in some way, the difficult personalities, one of the things I had to learn there was it's not the student that's the issue. It's their brain that's doing it. And once I could do that, I could be really patient with students or children who, or anybody who's uh, on the spectrum. I realized it's not them that's the issue. And, and then years later, I was able to generalize that to other things too. It's not this, everybody has a voice that wants to be heard. Everybody wants to be affirmed and appreciated, loved. And, um, and so the things that are frustrating are, I need to let those things go and just take them for who they are in the way I did when I work with kids with special needs. And it so aligns with what you said a bit ago about finding God in every person, finding that that God-like essence in every human being and using that as a source of appreciation. Yeah, I would say I don't want to focus on the what's trivial this momentary frustrating personality trait, or at least I perceive as, and often it has to do with pride too. I like, I, I also learned that because what I started to do and what I do now today is when I start to feel a little bit frustrated with an experience I'm in, I go down to the source and almost always the source is pride. Uh, it's either pride or fear. And then once I realize, you know, that's pretty trivial a reason to be upset, I can get rid of it. And then I can be more present to the real person because their thing, whatever their thing is, they're doing. As frustrating as it may be to anybody, their thing is trivial compared to the heart of the person, which is, you know, you could use John Cranapple's term of dignity in the person, the value of the person, or the innate goodness of the person. It's it's in there if you look for it. That's my that's my theory of action. Yeah. Yeah. So I think one thing you've identified among a number of things that you've identified about who you are. Jim is a person who searches for and finds that dignity in every person. That's who you are. It's what you aspire to be. And it's what you recognize helps you stay centered and focused in the places that matter most to you. Yeah, I think that's I love the way you're I love the way you're putting this, but a friend of Jenny's she says, the truest thing about you is the best thing about you. And your life is about living into that best version of yourself. And I think that is true. I don't think I'm anywhere near where I need to be, but I do have a vision of where I'd like to be. And I am trying to live into that vision for sure, which is an attitude of, call it what you will, love or benevolence, but the, to be, to use each interaction with the person in a, in a, in a way that's good for them. You know, I, I just think in, you know, um, what is it? Archbishop Desmond Tutu said something like, 
that's our greatest joy in life when we can live that kind of life where we engage our will for the good of others. You know, Jim, some people claim, and I'm curious what you think about this in relationship to you, some people claim to have two sides, a way they are at home in their personal life with their family, their loved ones, and maybe with their non-work friends, and to have a professional side, a way they show up with their colleagues, their clients, their employees. I wonder what you think about that as it relates to who you are. I don't think I'm much different in either place. I think the way I am at home and the way I work professionally are equally as flawed. <laughs> I, I really don't I really don't think there's a difference. I don't know if I'm I don't think there's ever been a difference. Uh I, I think it, it, maybe as a younger person, I was concerned about projecting an image. But now I figure, heck, I'm 68. Like, this is how I see it. Like this whole conversation, probably 30 years ago, I wouldn't have wanted to have this conversation about all my flaws as a husband and parent and so forth. But what I would say is um, the reward system in my life for work and the reward system in my life for loving the people closest to us is closest to me is different. So it's very easy for me to, you know, write something and be satisfied that I've done the work and give a presentation and get feedback. You know, I can I can do my work and it's kind of a, in a controlled environment. I'm the one writing the article or I'm the one giving the presentation, whereas at home, um, it's probably much, much more important, but it, it's it's not as easy to step into it and say, uh, oh, here's my, you know, here are my evaluations for how I was at the dinner table today. You know, it doesn't work like that. So I would say, and I've moved a long way away from this, but there was a time period in my life where all I did was work because work was controlled and I got the reward. Now I've, I've moved back from that and I realize I need to be at home. In terms of personality, I don't, I don't know. It'd be interesting to get Jenny's take on this. But I don't think I'm much different. I, I, well, I, I probably have more energy when I'm consulting and presenting than when I'm at home. Uh, I think when I get home, it's like it's time to take a break. You know, where's the wine? But um, but I think, uh, but uh, in terms of the way I see things, I think it's very similar. What do you think about you? Or Matt, I don't want to redirect the conversation, but I'm curious yeah, what you think. I want to stay focused on you okay. if that's okay. That's, good. that's great. So I'm noticing a theme. Through many of the things that you've said, you are acknowledging your limitations. You're acknowledging that you have room for growth. You use the word flaws. And I wonder if there are some areas and aspects of you that you're particularly proud of, that you feel that are moments and places for you to just really hold on to that strong sense of accomplishment and pride for having succeeded in those areas. Yeah, first off, I probably wouldn't use the term limitations because I feel that the what I'm calling flaws are transcendable. 
so I don't feel limited. I feel like there's still hope that I can move through uh, and limitations kind of seems impenetrable. And I feel like who knows what potential is out there in terms of how I can be a better human being moving through the world. Maybe I won't get any better. Maybe nothing will change, but my goal is to keep moving. I don't know. It's a really funny thing, Joellen, and I, I wonder, well, we were not talking about you, but um, I suppose my work has had an impact on education. I think there's a lot of people who talk about instructional coaching who maybe wouldn't have done it, certainly not done it through the partnership principles. Some of the ideas I've come up with of flourish, the idea of using video, the idea of an instructional playbook, um, partnership principles. They're kind of like, I always felt like my work was putting a meme, not a little picture of a cat with a catchy phrase, but putting ideas out into the environment and having them catch. And I think that's probably happened, but I don't really feel any special thing about that. I just feel like it's just the work I do. It's it's no different than someone who who creates a really nice sidewalk or, you know, it's just the work I do. It has has maybe a profile that that sidewalk might not have, but I don't see it as any more or less than that. I just feel like, you know, when I, you know, sometimes, you know, writing is kind of a, a painful and rewarding thing all at once, but there's times when I've written a sentence or a paragraph or come up with a story and I thought, well, that, that works there. That's, you know, but I also know it's not where I'd really, I'd really like to be able to write more like Parker Palmer or Atul Gawande, or there's people whose writing I think is so wonderful, but you know, I'm doing the best I can. I'm doing the work. The work is rewarding. And, uh, I do want to have maximum positive impact. Impact for me is what it's all about, but not for me. It's just, that's the work. That's, that's how I see it. I really do. A word comes to me so loudly as I listen to you, Jim, and it's humility. Yeah. See, I hear that from people, but I feel like I'm, if I look humble, it's because I'm so aware of how pride is like a raging fire that could take over in a heartbeat. So I have to keep it all down. I have to keep control, you know, and I think we all have to struggle with that. Pride is right there, ready to eat us up. But uh, yeah. I don't think I'm humble. I think I'm just realistic. <laughs> I, think, I think an accurate assessment of me is, you know, I'm a pretty good craftsman and I've had a lot of luck too. And I've, part of my luck is I had to work with people like you and Michael Fullen and Don Deschler and, uh, Stephanie Hirsch was another one who was a great mentor of mine through her work at Learning Forward. So I've ha had the pleasure of being around people who, and not to mention that, you know, now dozens of coaches I've worked with for years and years in the various projects we've done, starting with that first group of coaches that were working in Topeka. So yeah. I don't think it's humility. I think it's, I don't, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I hear that all the time and I'm like, man, I don't really feel like a humble person, but I aspire towards uh, putting other people first. I think think that's the truest version of me. If if I'm being the truest version of me, is that humble or is that just authentic? You know, I'm striving to be the authentic version of myself and I don't know that it's humble. I just think it's humble seems like too much praise. I don't think it's that 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 big a deal. Where does that come from, Jim? Where does all of that sense of you that you were just describing 
not really being humble, but being real, realistic, where does it come from? Well, I'm not sure, but I can give you I can give you an answer. Um, so I grew up in a family where simultaneously I was kind of praised and criticized. So uh, my father was like, you know, the liberals need when I was like 14. The liberal party is going to need a new leader. You should really, you know, get involved with the young. Don't worry about the NDP. They're never going anywhere. You should because you could be prime minister. You tell me I could be the prime minister of the country. And then he would be saying, you're, you know, pretty critical things. And so I think I grew up with an inflated ego and a lot of insecurity. And so as my journey, you know, the most important thing that happened to me probably in my whole development as a human being was when I lived in the Rockies in Canada and in Banff and Jasper is to climb the mountains. There was something about the physical action of climbing the mountain, getting to the top. When I first went to university, I was a terrible student. When I came back, I got a social science humanities research council grant, which is pretty hard to get grant for my doctorate. And so I went from being a terrible student to a good student. So I think, I think I've always wrestled with those two things. And as I've gotten older, um, I'm able to see that the self isn't the most important part. The most important part is, the, I guess, that being a good good to other people. But I and the thing is, I haven't been really great at it. You know, I mean, just realistically, I'm still a long ways away from where I'd like to be. But I, I know what my goal is. I know what my vision is, and over time, I'm getting a better picture of myself of what I do. Tell me about that vision. Well, the vision is what I've been talking about. A loving person puts other people first. Um, not hurried. Uh, um, authentic in the sense of being a truest version of yourself. Um, then, uh, yeah, and it's that uh, I think, yeah, I would say that people, ex I help people realize their potential. So if there were an opportunity for someone to introduce you, Jim, not by the accolades of your academic credentials, not by the titles of the books, not by the name of the organization you run, um, not by the number of sessions and keynotes you have facilitated. What would be the five things you would want that person to say about you? I think you've just said a couple of them to me, and just want to hear what those five things would be again. Well, honestly, all those things you listed first don't matter that much to me. They really don't. I mean, I'm glad they happened. And there was a time when it was more important. Uh, I feel I'm part of something bigger. You know, I think I work with great, look at the teaching, learning, coaching conference, the TLC conference we just put on. I had very little to do with it. And these, this group of people came together and they made it happen. And I feel, I wonder if you feel the same way, but I feel almost like when I'm doing things right, the book almost writes itself. I just sort of let it go. Other times it's real hard work, but to some extent, I feel like I'm part of something bigger. 
and I'm fortunate to be a part of that something bigger. So those things don't matter to me. I just feel like I could just have easily had a had you know been teaching English. So I would say five things that I'm a learner person getting better at being loving and then areas I still want to work on are uh, I focus on the most important things and I don't rush through them I'm present to other people I'm not in a hurry by knowing my priorities I'm able to you know steer clear of rushing through what I'm doing. I'm focused on the most important things and I'm doing the best I can. Yeah. It's lovely. It's a, a lovely summary of who you are. Not what you've done, but who you are. Mm. As I think about that, I would say, since I'm a coachy kind of person, that uh, the priority part is really important. Because, uh, you know, it's uh, John Mark Comer, I think, is the one who said it, but he, all of his le- worst moments in life were when he was in a hurry. And so if I could be really clear that what I'm doing right now is the best use of my time uh, in all of the manifestations of the things we talked about, I think that's, that's a really, really important piece. I woke up a while back, and I have a little routine I do in the morning where I drink coffee and I read these various things. And then I sort of set my intention for each day. I write it, have a little journal. I never go back and read what I wrote, but every day I sort of like, today is my intentions for today. And so I did that. I drank my coffee. I ate my toast with Vegemite and uh, uh, did my little intentional. And then my next thought was, okay, what's next? And and I realized, it just struck me then that I'm always doing what's next. (laughs) What's the next thing? What's the next thing? And I'm not really pausing to say, is the next thing the right thing? Or am I just doing the next thing? You know, so I think that's for me. That's an area of growth right now is to try to make sure I'm zoned in on the right thing, not necessarily just the next thing. Yeah, yeah. That that whole piece about knowing your priorities, knowing what's most important, staying present with that. I'm I'm struck by how that whole notion of spending your time on what's most important where the source of your grumpiness was when I remember back to what you were saying, that much of what your grumpiness was in those places where it seemed like your time was being used in areas that was not important to you, waiting in line, waiting in traffic, getting caught up in those situations where you had lost some control. Yeah, there's that and there's unfairness. Unfairness. Now, sometimes being angry about unfairness is the right thing. In fact, you can't anger, as I've learned uh, over the last few years, is not a inherently good or bad thing. It's just a signaling. But if you go to the root cause, if the root cause is justice, you're probably right to be angry and you should use that anger to fire you up and go do things. But if the root cause is an inflated sense of importance, and that's a good time to deflate that sense and accept the person for who they are. Yeah. I, I I do get upset about when we look at coaching where I'll have a, a blog about something that has no evidence behind it, no decades of research. It just says, here's my here's what I think you should do. I mean, people have a voice, they should share it, but I'm like, 
have you looked at all the work we've done? I, that that kind of thing triggers me. But at the same time, I do want to be benevolent to every perspective. And besides which, maybe I can learn from that person. That's really the right attitude. But that anything that seems unfair can be can be a, a trigger. You know, sometimes it's unfair because it truly is unfair, and it's, a, it's something you have to fight against. Sometimes it's unfair because I I I want I have an inflated sense of importance. I think that's the yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, Jim, as a result of our conversation, I'm wondering if you have greater clarity about who you are. So, uh, yes, but I want, I want to give an answer. Uh, so, my friend John Campbell says, after coaching, you should have, his little acronym is ACE, Action, Clarity, and Energy. And I can say I feel that way about all, I feel I have all three of those things. I think I really want to reflect now you're really validating what I've been thinking, but or I'm really validating it, but I've been thinking a lot about the importance of reflecting on what are my priorities and how am I using my time and this is just taking it to another level. So I think that's the action. It's clear and it feels right. It gives me energy. Yeah, good. I'm glad. It's good to know you, Mr. Part of something bigger <laughs> than yourself. Well, you're someone part of that. Who's a learner, someone who's getting better at loving people you care about, people, a person who focuses on what's most important, person who's committed to being present and not rushing, and knowing what your priorities are. It's good to meet you. Well, thank you. I feel like I want to reverse the process and do this with you, but you're the one who's good at this, so I don't think I could I could do it. Thank you so much, Joellen. It's been very, very helpful. Do you mind if I ask a couple questions? Absolutely. So, um, do you have any thoughts about the conversation before we move on? Anything you want to say kind of in transition to the next couple questions? I would process more before I jumped into answering. Um, I love that you were willing to explore. I love that you um, love is not an appropriate term to use. I I appreciate your exploration and taking time to do that. I appreciate when I used a word that didn't settle well, that you jumped on it. I thank you for that. Sometimes people don't feel comfortable, and you did that, and I was really appreciative. So thanks. When you were asking me questions, as I was talking, were you planning the next question or were you waiting till I finished to pick the next question? How did you process? Or was it some combination? What was sort of the mental process you were doing as you were coaching? If you don't mind me asking. I have two questions on paper that I thought a lot about that I um, thought might get us started. It was the first one about um, your interest in exploring identity and who are you? Those were the two questions. Mm -hmm. I did make one note, but really hadn't formulated the question about the distinction in personal and professional persona that people sometimes talk about and wasn't sure whether mm. that would fit. But I I'm not a coach who enters a coaching conversation 
with the list of questions. I let the questions emerge. What were you looking for? This is my last question about the coaching, but what were you looking for, if anything, maybe nothing, but when you were watching me respond, what were you trying to notice? I was noticing how frequently you were looking side to side. I noticed one time I asked a question and you got up to take care of the dog. And I wondered in that moment whether you wanted more think time. I noticed that you didn't rush in trying to respond and I was appreciative of that. I noticed you did this a lot. And I wasn't sure whether that was a thinking signal that you were gonna, using. I'm going to interrupt. Since this is, excuse me for interrupting, but since this is an audio, uh, so I was rubbing kind of underneath my glasses on the left side of my face. I think it's the left side. My finger yes. right beside yes. my eye. Interesting. Yeah. Well, tell me, thank you so much for all of this. Why do you think it's important for people to reflect on their identity as they do their work? What's Why is that of interest to you right now? Um, it, it's of interest to me for a number of reasons. It, and fundamentally, I find coaches are in a, what I'm calling a, a net, of contradictions or a nest of contradictions. I haven't quite figured out what word. Um, the contradictions between what coaching is and often the expectations others have of them as coaches. So one fundamentally is the notion that a coach is someone who brings out the potential in others versus the contradiction that I think some schools and school systems and potentially maybe supervisors of coaches have, which is for coaches to correct deficits in clients they're serving. And that's a tension that I think is sometimes unconscious to coaches maybe emerging in consciousness, and it affects how they coach. And so I want to begin to explore those with coaches. I want to begin to discover the degree to which coaches' consciousness of those contradictions influence their work. And um, I want coaches to know who they are. Who they are influences how they coach. If they continue, I say this often about coaches who have moved from the role of being a masterful teacher into the role of a coach. Some of them have never left their identity as the masterful teacher. Mm. And they carry that into their coaching role and continue to act as the masterful teacher rather than a coach. And to me, that's a fundamental contradiction. So those are things I'm interested in. I think about, I talk with coaches about when I get a chance. And the reason, I mean, 
thinking a lot about identity. What are, what are some things people could start doing today to protectively, productively reflect on their identity? How could we start that internal process? I think by doing what you did today, when I asked the question, who are you, begin with that exercise. An, an exercise of listing nouns and adjectives and actions that describe what that looks like in action. So if you're someone who places the love of your family in the forefront, there's there's loving as an attribute. There's the action of prioritizing and loving and continuing to explore how to be better at that. Those are the actions that you go through to demonstrate that that identity is in place for you. So I think that combination of adjectives, nouns, and actions is one way to begin that process. Would you see this as something to revisit frequently, come back to it? Yes. Like how, not to be too prescriptive, but say every three months or every week or, or I guess whatever makes sense. Whatever makes sense. I um, I think sometimes there are experiences we have. I may, for example, have a coaching conversation that I, I felt really good about. Maybe my client expressed was particularly helpful. And that would be a moment for me to go back and review that list. Or maybe it was just the opposite. It might have been a time when things didn't feel good, didn't feel right. I perhaps feel or felt disappointed. That would be another moment to go back and look at the list. So while it's useful to set some schedule and go back and do it, I think there's also those moments in time that are good opportunities. So we shouldn't be restricted by a calendar, but being driven by using those experiences to clarify and continue to learn about who we are. Yeah, Jenny has a phrase, follow the tears. Um, you know, and but what I hear you saying is explore the the moment. Uh, in solution-focused coaching, they, they have this activity of the shining moment. And you describe one moment where everything's going great and your coach listens to you and says, what I hear you saying is this, is that right? That this is a strength of yours? Well, if you were to live that strength out even more. But I think using that kind of activity in other ways could be really, really profitable. That's really... Yeah. That's really worth thinking about, especially intense moments, intensely positive, intensely negative. That sounds great. Yeah. Hopefully I have more positive than negative. Anything else you the, want to share about this? Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say the sorries and the prouds. That's great. Yeah. Both are opportunities for learning. So Jenny mentioned the tears. Those might be the moments associated with the sorries. And the prouds are those shiny moments. Right. Right. Anything else you'd like to add, Juan? That's it for now, Jim. 
<laughs> well, I'm very grateful. I'm going to, you've ruined my night now. I'm going to be reflecting on who I am and what my actions say, but actually not at all. It's been really, really helpful. And, um, you know, there's a book called A Sense of Where You Are. And it's, uh, I forget the author's name. He's a great journalist. It's about Bill Bradley when he was a, a college basketball player. And that introduced the idea of proprioception. Proprioception is where Bradley could be anywhere on the court, turned away from the hoop and still shoot the ball through the hoop. He knew where he was all the time. And I've always felt uh, it's not one of my strengths, that proprioception uh, in terms of identity. So I feel like you've given me a little more awareness uh, through this process, or this process as you led it has helped me with that. And I'm really grateful. Not that I'm going to hit the hoops, but I feel like I have a better sense of who I am. So <laughs> yeah. I'm grateful. Might, might just check in with Jenny and ask her who she, who she thinks you are. Yeah. <laughs> That's Almost a bold you. move. No, no, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's. This week is going pretty well, so we'll see how it goes. All right. Pick a good week. Right. Thanks, Joellen. I'm so grateful. Thanks, Jim. It's been a delight.